Welcome to Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh Durox, a mini-series focusing on 10 essential perspectives and practices to embody self-love. Here's Jesh. All right, guys, so it is day five of this 10-day series that I'm doing. The theme is practical self-love. You know, it's such a big buzzword right now. Love yourself, self-love. Hashtag blessed, hashtag all of that stuff. What does it mean? What does it actually mean? I think self-love is super, super important. The title of today's talk is going to be Save the Fear for the Bears. Save the Fear for the Bears. And what does this have to do with self-love? I am super interested in human being as an animal, as a spirit, you know, as a, as a creative being, as... A, the end of an avalanche, you know, of millions of years of evolution as uh, the meeting between two rivers, two genetic rivers from your mother's line and your father's line, the accumulation and the culmination of thousands and thousands of, of you know, moments of blood, sweat, and tears from your ancestors, decisions that they made, fears that they had stored in their body and also, you know, stored out of their body and shaped culture, etc., stuff like that super interested in, in what a human is. And in my, my search to understand that and to really, I think one of the big ways I spend time is, is developing deep, rich understandings, growing awareness of the human experience, and then matching that with the experiences, you know, that we have inside of the culture to see which ones are serving us and which ones aren't. Because I believe that creatives really are people who are, who are building culture. We are people who, because we're building culture, you know, need to be checked in with some of the parts of the prevailing culture that aren't working well. And in my search with all of that kind of stuff, you know, which is fascinating to me, and I literally spend almost every waking moment thinking about it, um, exploring it, building companies around it, building products around it, having conversations about it. I honestly even dream about this stuff. I'm so obsessed with it. I, I dream that I'm giving talks in which I'll learn new things that I've never said before. I'll have uh, dreams in which I'm having conversations with friends about things. I'll have dreams, you know, around these themes. This is, this is what I'm completely interested in. And one of the elements of that, of what it is to be a human, and if we're talking about self-love, we've got to put everything on the table and say, you know, sure, I'm a creative being. Sure, you know, I might have some spiritual aspect Sure, and the culmination, you know, of, of, of my culture and my environment and, you know, my genetics, you know, all of this handed to me. But we're also an animal. We're also an animal. And I think it's really important to understand the animal and to recognize the animal, you know, and to honor the animal. So I'll start with a story, okay? Dive right in. A little while ago, I was walking in a park. And as I was walking down the park, I was by myself. And there was leaves all around, you know, and there's little pieces of food, bread or something like that that were on the ground. And there's all of these birds, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30 birds, little tiny guys. And they were pecking up, you know, peck, 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 pecking up all of the, uh, the bread. They were trying to, get, trying to get the food. And as I was walking towards them on this path, for some reason, the bread was spread out on quite a distance. As I would walk towards these birds, I wasn't even on the path to hit them. I wasn't going to hit them. I was within maybe three feet of them or something, they each would, you know, fly backwards 
and go up into the air and go away from me. And as soon as they felt I was a safe distance away, they would come back and land and they would go back for the bread. And that's a very common occurrence, okay? Uh, I bet you every single one of you guys has seen that before and probably didn't even pay attention or notice it. I've seen it before and didn't pay attention to notice it. This time I did. And the reason why I did is because I had just very recently learned about birds, something very interesting. Humans have always been fascinated with flight, you know, and we, we still kind of romanticize and idealize creatures that can fly, especially birds. If you look at a lot of corny motivational posters from the 80s, there's almost always like birds in there. Uh, birds have become a symbol, you know, of like of peace, of power, of beauty, of freedom. Even, you know, the symbol for America is like this eagle, which is like this flying bird, you know? So why are we so interested in birds? Because they can fly. They're up there soaring. It looks so free. There's no roads. There's no paths. There's no bushes or stones to knock in. There's no ravines to have to cross. It's just all, you know, free up there. And uh, that costs them a lot, though. It costs them, in fact, so much. Flight is so hard to do evolutionarily that basically what, what I was told, you know, in this research is that the cost of flight is that birds basically have to spend all of the rest of their life when they're not flying, eating. Almost the entirety of their life is spent eating. And so that's a big cost, you know? It's like, would I want to fly? Yes. Would I want to fly if I knew that every time I was down on the ground, I had to be obsessively eating or trying to eat? Probably not, no. So that, that fact had really stood out to me, you know, that there was a cost to flying. And I think, you know, it was an interesting commentary too on there's a cost to everything. There are things that we idolize in other people. There are situations that we idolize that we can just look back from a distance and be like, oh, wouldn't it be great to just fly, be free everywhere? And it's like, yeah, it would be great. And guess what else? You have to spend all of your time eating. <laughs> As a small side note, I think that's just kind of an interesting reminder, you know? I'm uh, not in a relationship right now. Part of me misses being in a, in a relationship. But when you're inside of a romantic relationship, sometimes you romanticize and miss the aspects of, of being single and not having those things. So it's a similar kind of thing. There's, there's a cost to everything. There's a beauty to everything. There's always that balance that plays off. But anyways, for this particular one, I was watching these birds. They were flying backwards just at my approach. And that really stood out to me this time because I was thinking, gosh, that's really expensive. That's a very expensive use of energy that they just did to fly because gravity is so huge, you know, and so heavy and so strong. When those birds have to fly back, they're, they're spending a lot of time. Might have been an hour that they spent trying to uh, get food just to have that one backwards flight. And the thing that struck me the most about that is at no time, at absolutely no time, were they in danger from me. They were just absolutely not ever in danger uh, from me. And it really made me think, even though I had no intention to harm them, I've never once tried to harm a bird, you know, and I honestly never would, even though that's true and it will always be true of me, every single one of those birds had the instinct they had the instincts to back away at great cost to them. And it just made me you know, think about, I wonder how many of the times that we are freaking out about things uh, at great energy expenditure of our own, uh, 
are they completely for no reason, no reason at all. There never was harm coming towards us. And I've talked about this a little bit uh, in the past. We're nervous. We're a nervous species. We're a nervous creature. We have anxiety and that's not our fault. So if you are a person who has anxiety, who is nervous sometimes, and is you know kind of plagued by that and, and has problems with that, don't be hard on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself, okay? Because our ancestors evolved to be anxious, nervous creatures. And the reason for that is the exact same reason that these birds were flying away from me, even though I had no intention of hurting them, okay? Because on an evolutionary scale, let's say there's two kinds of birds, okay? And one kind of bird just wants that bread and just does not care what's gonna to happen to it, it's just gonna eat the bread. Uh, and the other kind of bird is the bird that's scared. And the bird is like, oh my God, maybe, maybe this big shadow coming towards me is gonna eat me. And that one flies away. Now, that one bird who is scared, he might be wrong 99 times. If he's wrong 99 times, every time that he flies away and comes back, even though he was wrong, he's still alive. Now, he can be 99 times wrong and, and still be alive. Whereas the other bird, who's the brave bird, you know, who's not afraid of anything, he only has to be wrong one time. Say, oh, it's just a big shadow. It's not really a big deal. If he's wrong one time, he dies, okay? And when you look at it that kind of way, you can clearly see how our ancestors came from animals and creatures that were very afraid and that were too afraid, in fact, much too afraid, because it's still an evolutionary benefit to stay alive even at the cost of all of that wasted fear, you know? However, when I saw that happen, I thought, God, this is so much like us. There are so many times when we are afraid of things that we don't need to be afraid of things, when we spend energy that we don't need to be, you know, spend energy in, in that kind of a way. And I think about those birds sometimes, you know, when I feel fear about something or when I get upset about something, when I'm nervous about something, because yes, our ancestors have been doing this for a really long time and no, it's not our fault. And at the same time, here you are, here you are, here I am with the gift of life. I have the gift of life right now and all this stuff that was handed to me, I don't know how to work it completely, but I can at least try to make things a little bit better, you know, than they have been for my ancestors and for my own personal life. And uh, one practical way of doing that in terms of the self-love that we're talking about is start noticing when you're afraid. That's the very first thing, to build a relationship with yourself. And relationship means that you're in some kind of an interaction with something where giving and receiving is happening, where you have an ability to influence, where you have an ability to be influenced, for you to build a relationship with yourself, which let me just say is an absolute prerequisite to loving yourself, okay? First comes awareness then comes, you know, relationship, then comes love. So in, in that string there, being aware of the moments where we are afraid is, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And it's a super important step in getting to a place where we can be practicing loving to ourselves. And why this can be so big is again, with the general theme of what I've been talking about quite a bit over the last, you know, few days as I've been exploring this theme of practical self-love, is it doesn't seem like a big deal every single time. A shadow comes, the bird flies away. The shadow moves on, the bird comes back. And you say, well, it was just one time. It's not, it's not really that big of a deal. But just think about how many times that bird has been wrong about that there never was a danger. And do we equate ourselves to the same level of intelligence as a bird? No, 
No, we don't. We, we are much advanced from that. So theoretically, we should be able to tell better when we're using that fear response wisely. Let's take a look at the fear response. Um, and, and I'm saying this to, to suggest, I don't often really think that we do. If, if you look at most human lives, my own included, there have been thousands of times, if not a hundred thousand, when I spent precious energy on fear and on fear responses and on anger and on any number of fight or flight responses, you know, which we could all attribute to the amygdala and, you know, the reptilian part of the brain, when, when it wasn't appropriate, it wasn't appropriate. So what is that fight or flight response? What, what it's really for is it evolved, you know, so, so long ago uh, in our ancestors, you know, really lizards even have it. That's why they call it the reptilian brain. That's how old this thing is. So when they get triggered, when they get scared, the amygdala turns on, the reptilian brain turns on, and basically everything else gets shut down, and there's just two choices, fight or flight. And an interesting thing about that is when your brain does get turned on and says, oh no, something is wrong, something is dangerous, what percentage of the energy do you think gets allocated? It's basically all of it. It's literally basically all of it. All the energy throws in. Again, that might not seem like that big of a deal, but 100% of your energy being stolen 20 times a day, 30 times a day, 50 times a day, that really ends up mattering. It really, really ends up mattering. When we have all of this constant stealing from us over stuff that doesn't really matter, it just ends up being a waste. It just ends up being a waste, okay? So this whole title of Save the Fear for the Bears, why I'm saying that is because that evolutionary impulse is four times when there really is a bear chasing you. And let me tell you, when there is a bear chasing you, you have my 100% blessing and encouragement. I will cheer you on. Use the amygdala, pump your body and brain, you know, with hormones of all kinds and just run, run as fast as you can, fight, whatever. But I really think that an incredibly beautiful form of self-love is starting to pay attention to whether or not this situation your brain wants to freak out about, is this actually a situation? Is this actually a situation that is worth getting upset about? Because if it's not, it's not a small deal. It feels like a small deal, but it's not because it's your life and your life is a big deal. It's a super, super big deal. And I think there are a lot of us adults who call ourselves adults, who think of ourselves, you know, as adults. And if we're really that honest, we're not that super advanced from your normal bird who's freaking out about a very peaceful shadow of a guy named Jesh coming down a sidewalk who has no intention of, of harming, absolutely no intention. I heard something else really interesting the other day uh, from the psychologist, you know, who was talking about this whole thing, you know, that parents have done about making kids terrified of strangers, terrified of strangers, terrified of strangers, is actually... Uh, detrimental to children when they are in the situation where somebody comes to kidnap them or hurt them in some way because child predators apparently they look for kids who are terrified of them and easily cowed and if instead parents would be encouraging them you no know, be bold be brave when you see a stranger and it doesn't mean you know go into a, a van with them or whatever but but be able to speak your truth, be able to speak your mind. It's anti-fear. Don't be afraid of the stranger. Understand, you know, that there are boundaries and that there's stuff that matters there, but, but don't be afraid. And I think a lot of times when we keep catering to this fear that we have of everything all the time, all around us, it actually puts us in worse situations to just, to just continue 
to be and play out that role of a victim, you know, which is just, is not to our benefit. It's, it's just not. So uh, save the fear for the bears. What do I mean by that? I mean, when a bear is running at you, that's the time to use it. But I think it's one of the most important and subtle and simple, but, but hugely impactful practices that you can have as an adult, as a self-responsible human, as a way to practice self-love to say, is this situation actually a bear? Is it really at bear level? Because the truth is, we don't have a lot of bears anymore. We're, we're not actually in threat that much of the time. If we can learn to uh, really pay attention to whether or not this thing is important that's bothering us, it's gonna pay off huge for us. It's gonna pay off huge. And I can definitely say I'm getting way better at that. I mean, I was just in a situation earlier today involving the police. I was somewhere where I shouldn't have been apparently and I got a, a ticket for, for that. And even though when you have run-ins like that, you have absolutely no idea how it's gonna end. Are you gonna get a fine? Are you gonna go to jail? You know, Are you gonna have to run for your life? <laughs> There's so many different possible outcomes of that. I maintained a very strong calm through that entire situation. And I was just thinking, you know what? This would have bothered me a lot more, you know, several years ago. And it is kind of a cool thing now that even a potentially stressful situation like that, I'm just saving the fear for the bears. That's not a bear situation. The police, it's going to end up okay. And if it doesn't end up okay, I'll find my way through that somehow. I saw this really interesting movie recently called Free Solo. And I highly recommend it. It's super fascinating about this very, very brave kind of wild character who climbs up incredibly steep mountains only using his hands and feet, you know, with no ropes or anything like that. It's kind of insane, but it's also kind of amazing. And they did a brain scan of his and to try to see how is he compared to other humans, like what's different about him that he's able to do this. And the main thing that they found when they scanned the brain is that they showed him all of these very scary pictures and put him in different stressful scenarios, apparently, to try to trigger the amygdala. And they had a control person, it means an average person, a regular person, that they also showed those same pictures to and put them in the same stressful circumstances. And they were taking pictures of the amygdala, which is this part I'm talking about that has the fear response of fight or flight. And the pictures of this guy's brain had almost no activity at all in the amygdala, almost none. See, so learning how to calm that amygdala, learning how to not freak out about things like this can actually end up not only just making you have a healthier, happier, more beautiful life, it can actually end up helping you to achieve things that no one else on earth has ever even done. So pretty cool. We used to, you know, have to fight or flight all of the time. The snake was scary, the bear was scary. You know, the lava was scary, like everything was scary. That used to be much more relevant a long time ago. And it's just, uh, it's just not as much anymore. There are some times it matters and that's why I say, don't be fearless. I don't agree with being fearless. I think there are some really important, beautiful things to be afraid of, you know, like bears. But in general, we're in a state of fear way, way too much. And I think that, I think you consciously making an effort to say, I'm gonna be in fear less. I'm going, and how do you do that practically? I think it just starts with really growing awareness, really growing presence around the times that you do notice you're afraid and really checking in and saying, is this a bear? Is this a bear? And if it's a bear, by all means, be, be terrified. And if it's not a bear, we really gotta let that go. We really have to let it go. I, I turn my fears into creative projects. And what that basically means is that I will end up spending a lot of time digging really deep into understanding why their fears who has conquered these fears? What does that look like? 
What creative ways could I meet this that could maybe change my perspective about all of this? We know that that can happen, guys, and it happens by practice and it happens by immersion. Those are two super big ways to do that. But I just think a lot of us really aren't even aware of how much of our precious life and our precious energy is being stolen on a daily basis by these low-level fears, by these, this flying away backwards that we do, you know, like birds. All right, very last story I want to tell you today. I was traveling around India on a tour last year. I ended up giving this talk that was called Things I Learned While Running Naked in the Sahara Desert. And that's a whole other amazing story that I don't have time to tell today, but is one of my favorite stories from my life. It was a really, really beautiful experience. And in that talk in India, I basically broke down how that day happened, you know, that I happened to be running in the Sahara naked, what I kind of learned from that. And the main point of all of that was some of the stuff that I'm talking about here today. Don't only just face your fears, like turn them into creative projects and grow strong with them, embody them, and then they end up becoming strengths to you. Almost everything I've ever feared in my life is now a strength to me. And one by one, I'm hunting down my fears and I'm turning them into creative projects. In this particular talk, things I learned while running naked in the Sahara Desert, I am in India giving this talk. And at the end of it, it's like, guys, I don't want to just tell you this stuff, you know, go out there and do brave things. I want to show you what that looks like. I want to show you that every time you explore, you find something, you learn something. And every time you survive it, you know, you grow. And so what I did at that very end of the talk, I did something kind of wild and crazy. And I said, I'm about to do something I've never done before. And it's going to be in honor of you guys facing your fears and doing something about it. I had been given this viral Indian song by somebody earlier in the tour. And they were like, you have to listen to this. It makes my soul come alive. And I was like, okay. So I listened to it. And it was this amazing, beautiful Bollywood kind of beat song. I had them play it super loud at the end of my talk. And right in front of the entire audience, I just took off all of my clothes, except for my underwears. And to be honest, I would have taken off my underwears, except that I think that would have offended more people than it would have helped. <laughs> uh, so I kept my underwears on, but besides that, I was completely naked. And remember, like, I'm in good shape, but I'm in like five ab good shape, not six ab good shape, and certainly not like 29,000 good shape, like this Thor figure that I'm telling you about. So. I wasn't taking off my clothes because I felt especially, you know, stunningly beautiful or something. It's just like, this is me as I am, but I want to do this in honor of saying, hey, I'm not good at this situation and I don't know what I'm going to learn by doing this, but I'm going to try something. And I allowed, you know, myself to get past the guard dog in that moment. And because I did, I had this incredible experience that to, to this day is one of, one of my favorite things that I've ever done. It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done, that's for sure is dance pretty much naked on a stage in front of an entire auditorium full of people. And I invited them up on the stage with me. And I'm telling you the story today. There's a much longer version of it, which, which is much funnier probably, but I wanna close off with this particular piece and this particular aspect of it because the first person who jumped on the stage with me, I was alone by myself for like three minutes while this was happening. And the first person who jumped on stage was a really amazing guy named Lonnie. And as soon as he jumped on stage, 20 other people immediately jumped on stage, okay? And that's so beautiful because so many people wanted to. People want to jump on stage with you, but, but they don't know how a lot of the time. And when one person does it, it breaks some kind of barrier and the flood just comes in. It was such a beautiful, beautiful moment. So my friend Lonnie, 
he wasn't my friend then, you know, I didn't even know him hardly. He jumps on stage with me. We're all, we're both dancing around, you know, naked. He takes off all his clothes. Everybody else come up. Everybody's, you know, dancing around. But I'm just saying, like, I ended up, because of that moment, starting to develop a, a really cool friendship with people, him and his, his beautiful wife. They're both incredible artists. And I think I have a feeling that I'm going to be super good friends with them for a super long time. And we're going to work on some really incredible projects together. And it really probably will be because of that special moment that we shared on stage at that particular time. And so I want to close all of this off by honing in this point, hammering in this point, which is that you might think it's not a big deal if you're just afraid one time. You don't do the thing that you really want to do. Your guard dog says, hey, that could be dangerous. And you're like, okay, okay. You cow down to the guard dog. And I just want to challenge you as boldly as I can from personal experience and say, fight through that, push through that. Do not let your baser instincts control your life, you know, because one of those times, just one of those times that you push through that fear and you dance naked, you know, in front of the audience, whatever your version of that is, you know, one time that you push through and you talk to Jared Leto, whatever that is for you, you might start up a friendship, a collaboration that will touch the lives of, of many, 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 many people that will profoundly transform you. And I can tell you, I was profoundly transformed that night on that stage in India. I changed in so many ways. And I had so many people, hundreds of people, write me notes and give me letters and all kinds of stuff about how that touched them that night that I did that. And even if none of that had happened, I gained two really beautiful friends from that. And these are powerful, incredible artists that we are working on collaborating on some amazing projects right now that who even knows how many people are gonna be affected by that. And when you look at those big, 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 big things, because guys, I'm a person who has always been interested in big, 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 big things, and I'm, I'm sure the same is true for you if you're here listening to me and been this patient with me. But you know what I've learned in all of my years studying really, really big, big, big things is that they all, every single one of them come from small, 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 small things. All of them do. So I just want to encourage you with this. I want you to practice saving your fear for the bears. Save your fear for the bears. And instead of using that energy on fear and on anger and on shutting down and all the other things that we do and then the shame response we have to that, just start cultivating that extra energy and save it up and spend it on wildness. Spend it on adventure. Spend it on beautiful connections. Spend it learning and growing. And you know what's so cool about having practiced this for so long? I have grown and changed so much because of the experiences that I've opened myself up to that I have an ability to connect with and be interesting to a lot of people on the planet. I have an ability to walk into doors and make deals happen a lot of places on the planet that I just wouldn't have been able to before. And it all comes down, if I really trace it back down, to just these small moments when nobody was watching, where I pushed through the barrier. I mean, one of the coolest things to me about that story in India is I knew, you know, the night before as I was writing that speech, I knew what I had to do. I knew I had to end it with taking my clothes off. And at the time I was like, Jesh, are you sure you want to do this? That guard dog came up. He was like, Jesh, that's too crazy. I mean, like, I know I get you. You're a crazy guy, whatever. We all get it. But that's a little too extra. And so I, I didn't know for sure if I was going to do it until the speech. And then when the speech happened at the end of it, I was like, I got to do this. And I know I got to do it. And 
I will never forget the feeling of looking out at that audience at the end of my speech. There's a big expectation because they know I'm about to do something crazy, but they don't know what it is, where I put my fingers up to the button. I remember exactly how that button felt. I probably always will. And part of the reason why I remember it as I was unbuttoning my shirt is because I felt no fear. I felt no fear. I knew it was exactly what I had to do. And let me just tell you, as clearly and as plainly and as humbly as I can, that would not have always been the case. I've lived a lot of my life in fear, and there are still certain areas of my life where I, I do face fears, you know? But there are a lot less than there used to be, and it has come by practicing this and working to become aware of your fears and then really checking in and saying, is this a bear? Is this as serious as a bear? If not, I'm pushing through. I'm pushing through. I'm pushing through. Guys, that is one of the most powerful forms of practical self-love that I could possibly share with you. Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh D. Rocks is produced by Jesh D. Rocks and edited by Elizabeth Windham. Our theme music is by Kai Kai. It's called Celeste from the album Fantasize. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this mini-series, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and general community. You can find Jesh at Jesh D Rocks on Instagram and Facebook.